Chapter 38 Till Death Does Us In Though the massive effect of whatever they had injected him with had worn off, Jack's lips still felt like rubber, but at least he was able to put his thoughts together. He walked back to the freestanding shelving rack in the corner of the room, twisting the doorknob on the way over to see if by some miracle it had unlocked itself. No such luck. He stepped up on the rack again, this time sliding the bin on the top rack to the edge so he could take it down. It was almost beyond his reach and heavier than he had imagined. It was all he could do to pull the thing down without it crashing to the ground. He set the bin down so he could evaluate the contents. There was nothing of real consequence in it, just a small hot plate, rubber tubing, and microscope slides that were boxed and unopened. Shit, there's nothing in here I can use, he thought. He grabbed the side of the metal storage shelf to prop himself up again as he sorted through the box. As he did, he felt something on the side of the vertical support rod. He moved his hand and quickly looked at it carefully. It was a flat magnet. Several, actually. Not unlike what people put on their refrigerators. He pulled one of the magnets off the shelf and examined it closely, then looked back at the door to his makeshift prison cell. The magnet was a few millimeters thin. It was flat and rigid and one and a half inches square. This might work, he thought, as he eyeballed the door once again. There didn't appear to be a deadbolt on the door, just a stronger version of an interior door privacy lock set that had been reversed so that it locked from the outside, keeping whoever was inside from leaving, probably done on the fly to create a makeshift holding area for him. He thought about it. If he could put the magnet over the retaining hole in the door frame and keep the lock spring latch from engaging, then, yeah, this might work, he thought. If only I could open the fucking door in the first place. Jack put the magnet in his pocket and sat down on the floor, pondering his situation and wondering how Quan and the woman he didn't even recognize had gotten caught up in all of this. More importantly, he wondered if the cavalry was coming. Jack heard his phone ping again and the swishing sound of an outgoing text as the main vault door opened again. He was about to retrieve his phone from his pocket when the door to his room opened and Beth was thrown violently inside. Don't get too comfortable. I'll be back for her shortly, Eric the guard said. Son of a bitch, Jack shouted, lunging at the guard. His body was too sore to cooperate and he wasn't able to get close to the guard before the door shut. Jack quickly turned his attention to his girlfriend. Beth, what the hell? What the hell happened? What are, you, what are you doing here, he asked, bending down, pushing her hair aside to assess her damaged face. What have you done, she asked, shaken and disoriented. What are you talking about, Jack asked. How did you even get here? Helping her slide over to the wall so she could sit upright. Beth gulped down a few deep breaths and then grabbed Jack's arm. They took me. When? When did they take you, Jack asked. I don't fucking know, she screamed. They came into my house and grabbed me, drugged me, and then put me on a plane. They were asking me the same question over and over and over. Her shoulders started to heave as she began sobbing. Jack sat down beside her and pulled her close, stroking her hair. This was a side of Beth that he had never seen. The tough, in-your-face woman he had been dating for nearly a year 
had been reduced to a slobbering puddle of goo, and none of what she said made any sense. What did they want to know, he asked. Something about an algorithm, some formula you use to invest in the stock market, she said. Jack's mind clicked into hyperdrive. This was out of left field. He was locked up because he had tried to thwart an intentional viral attack. No one had said a goddamn thing about any algorithm or how he picked stocks. There was no common thread connecting Beth to their current predicament. She babbled on and pleaded with him to give them what they wanted, asking him what it was and what he had done to bring down the shitstorm on their tranquil existence. He was speechless as she continued hysterically. There is no fucking algorithm, he finally said, interrupting her tirade. No computer program. Nothing. I don't have any clue why anyone would take you or try to use you to find out anything about my investments. I just pick stocks. There's no mathematical formula. Whatever I do, I, shit, I do it in my head. I couldn't even explain it if I tried, he yelled, unable to control himself. He took a deep breath and mentally shifted gears. Something didn't feel right. So, the only thing they've asked you is how I pick stocks? He asked, trying to calm himself down. She nodded violently. This is fucked, he muttered to himself. He heard the click of the door lock on the other side. The door opened with Eric, the gap-toothed asshole, and the desk guard pointing their semi-automatic handguns at him. Eric grabbed Beth by the hair and dragged her out, kicking and screaming, while the other guard held his aim at Jack's forehead. A thought began to percolate through Jack's mind that there must be more to his and Beth's capture than he knew. A reason that they hadn't killed him, especially in light of what Beth just said. Serena mentioned my investment skills. Was this why they brought me here in the first place, he thought? A sudden jolt of courage and adrenaline shot through his body, and he began to walk toward the guard as he backed out of the room. The guard quickly dashed out as Jack lunged for the door. The guard didn't fire a shot. Chalk one up for intuition, he thought. Jack managed to wedge his shoe at the bottom of the door, keeping the guard from closing it cleanly. With his shoe planted and his shoulder pushed against the door, he took the magnet from his pocket and quickly slapped it over the hole in the doorframe. He quickly removed his foot, allowing the door to slam shut while simultaneously pushing on the door, holding the doorknob so it would look like the door had successfully closed and locked. He continued shouting at the guard for good measure. When the guard left, he gently released the pressure on the doorknob to see if it would hold. It did. From the outside, they'd have no visual clue that the door wasn't locked. All he had to do now was wait for the guard sitting near the main vault door to take a powder or leave his post for a few minutes. If he did, the odds were in Jack's favor he'd be able to grab Quan and the girl and at least make it out of the vault. From there, trying to find Beth in the massive facility could be hard. For nearly two hours, Luke and Eamon sat in the middle of nowhere on the hood of a rented Range Rover. Eamon's computer screen barely made a dent in the oppressive darkness as he tried to get an idea of where Beth might have gone using satellite maps. There were just too many options and not enough clues. They were at a dead end and they both knew it. However, neither had the courage to say it. They just sat, hoping something would miraculously come to mind or jolt them into action. 
Bosco could sense their despair as well, and continued to circle the overturned Audi in the ditch, his nose working overtime, but having about as much success as they were. What else? What are we missing? Luke asked. I don't know, Eamon replied, exhausted, shaking his head. There's nothing. There's no land records I can find listing Greenleaf or any of their principals as owning any of the properties around here. From what I can tell, it's not unusual. Most of these grow facilities are purposely hidden for security purposes anyway. We're going to have to make the call. Luke knew Eamon was right. They were at a dead end and they were going to need to bring in the authorities. He was beginning to come to grips with that when both his and Eamon's phones buzzed with an incoming text message. Holy shit, Luke shouted, looking down at his phone, staring at the text from Jack. He's fucking alive. He sent us directions too, Eamon shouted, staring at his phone in disbelief. They high-fived each other and quickly began decoding Jack's directions. Some of it made sense and some didn't. Bosco stopped circling the Audi and ran toward them, jumping on the hood, toenails scratching the paint. He sat down between them, anxious, trying to keep from sliding off the hood. The text transmission didn't last long enough for me to get a fix on his phone. Even though there's plenty of signal out here, wherever he is, coverage must be spotty, Eamon said. I just can't locate his damn phone. Well, based on what he sent us, there's some basic waypoints and intersections, Luke said. But I don't know where he started. I mean, I think this is the general area, Luke said, pointing at the computer screen. But I'm not certain. Luke was still staring at the screen when Eamon nudged him. Dude, why don't you try to connect with him? Maybe it'll work now. Luke hadn't tried to open his psychic connection over the past 24 hours, assuming whatever limited power that he and Jack had was now broken. He had his doubts, but given the situation, there weren't any other options. He climbed down from the hood of the car and made a clicking sound with his tongue, calling Bosco to follow him. He opened the rear driver's side door and let Bosco jump in. He climbed in after the dog and slumped down in the back seat, trying to get comfortable. He began petting the dog to relax, but was keyed up and anxious and couldn't clear his mind. It was the worst situation he could have imagined. Jack was now depending on him, and he couldn't figure out a way to quiet his own mental shitstorm long enough to do the only thing that might save him. He didn't know if the connection was gone or if he just couldn't do it. Luke began hyperventilating, close to a full-blown panic attack. Luke felt the weight of Bosco's head as the dog repositioned himself and parked his head on his thigh. When Bosco licked his hand, Luke was immediately hit with a wave of calm that seeped into his pores, the same feeling he experienced outside of the Greenleaf offices, a heightened sense of smell, and hearing that was crisp and highly differentiated. Luke could hear everything from crickets to Eamon's breathing and heartbeat, even though he was outside on the hood of the car. Stranger still, his vision had changed. Colors had faded into black and white, simultaneously becoming brighter and crisper, less affected by the oppressive nighttime darkness. It took him a few minutes to realize his perspective had changed too. One of his eyes was focused on Bosco, and the other could see himself. He sat puzzled for a few minutes, opening and closing each eye before it finally hit him. He was connected with Bosco. More than just connected, 
Luke could see what Bosco saw out of one eye. He could smell what Bosco smelled and hear what he heard. For all practical purposes, Bosco was fully wired into all of his senses. In the back of the SUV, Luke experienced a sense of calm and wonder like never before. He couldn't see Bosco's thoughts, but felt intense waves of emotion that he knew weren't emanating from himself. Calm, love, devotion. Those were the only words that were close to describing the experience, and even those felt ridiculously inadequate. Within moments, Luke let the connection slip away. The intense feeling of ease and clarity lingered. He focused on his brother, visualizing Jack's face and voice, and began to see thoughts form. He began to hear words that weren't his, an internal dialogue of sorts of which he was eavesdropping. In an instant, he knew they were Jack's thoughts. Luke clearly heard him say, Quan, damn it, I've got to get him. How do I distract the guard? Jack felt the jolt or the weirdness of the connection kick in, his train of thought quickly changing. Luke, is that you? Jack's words were so clear it sounded as if Luke was standing next to him. A wave of intense emotion hit Luke in the gut. A tear rolled down his cheek. It's me, man. Luke fired a quick thought, his chest heaving with emotion. You figured it out? Jack asked. Yeah, sort of. Bosco's the trigger for me. Where are you, man? What happened? Luke asked. Jack and Luke rapid-fired words into each other's head at the speed of thought. Their communication became more natural as their mental conversation progressed and gained speed. Though the subject matter was truly upsetting, Luke found himself oddly at ease as he described what had happened since discovering Jack was missing on Sunday morning. When he described the events surrounding Quan and Beth, that she broke into their offices, stole their gear, and that she'd been monitoring a bug planted in Jack's office, Luke could almost feel Jack convulse. Are you okay? Luke asked. Are you kidding? Beth was just here. She had taken a nice backhand to the face. She said they wanted to know about my algorithm for picking stocks, Jack replied. She's full of shit. She's fucking in on this, I swear, Luke said. I believe you, Jack replied. I couldn't put my finger on it, but something doesn't seem right with her. What the fuck was she talking about anyway, Luke asked. I thought you were here to do a job. So did I, Jack said. But apparently someone wants to know about the algorithm that I use to pick stocks. Luke sat up. They're looking for a stock algorithm? There is no fucking algorithm, Luke said. Yeah, you and I know that, Jack replied. But they seem to think there is, and I just don't even know who they are. Luke paused, thinking about his conversation with Richard Long. The guy in the apartment that was blown to shit mentioned Magnus was part of some white-collar mob. You didn't tell her how you do it, did you? Luke asked. Hell no, Jack replied. Wouldn't make any sense anyway. Shit, I don't really know how it all works myself other than the process of accelerating. How the fuck am I on some mob list anyway? Jack asked, bewildered. No clue. Do you think that's what they were after at the office, Luke pushed? I don't know. In light of what you just said and Beth's break-in, maybe, Jack replied, still deep in thought. They pondered it all for a few seconds, then quickly moved to the extraction plan. With Jack plugged into his head, 
Luke could clearly decode the directions in his text. He sat in amazement as Jack flashed directions from memory in vivid detail, outlining where he was being held. Luke could see what the facility looked like and how to get there from where they were, right down to the kilometer markers. Jack said there was a loading dock on the side of the building and that he would meet Luke and Eamon there after he was able to get clear of the guard parked inside the vault door. Jack just needed to create a distraction and was trying to figure that out. I may have something in mind that could inspire them to make a move, Luke said. The phones you took? Jack asked, sensing his brother's thoughts. Exactly. I have to think there's a recent phone number in there that I can call to shake the tree a little. If that doesn't work, do you think you can lead me to where you're being held? That may be our only way, Luke replied. Luke saw thoughts tumbling in Jack's head along with a picture of a hand inputting the digits of a combination into a large safe. Yeah, I can lead you to where I'm being held if I can make it to the loading dock. I've got the combination in my head. It's 8, 25, 67, 47, and 86, Jack rattled off. Luke repeated the numbers back and committed them to memory. Freaking awesome, Luke said. Run away. Just make sure you don't come down the main drive. Park beyond the drive and walk down the fence row at the edge of the property. It's closer to the loading dock and less likely to have electronic surveillance, Jack said. They cut their connection and Luke jumped out of the car and screamed at Eamon. I fucking did it, man. I know where he is. I just talked to him. Eamon let out a whoop that silenced every animal and insect for miles, jumping down from the hood of the rover and hugging him. Get in, Luke said, hopping into the driver's seat. I'll explain as we go. But if we haul ass, we'll be able to get there in just over an hour.